everyone, and welcome to the Metacast by Novik, a podcast in which we explore the business and future of video games. I'm Aaron Bush, and in this episode, I'm excited to host a conversation with Jason Chapman. Jason is a co-founder and managing partner at Convoy Ventures, and fun fact, he was also one of the very first people in the games industry to stumble upon my my early work with Master of the Meta, which is now Novik Digest two, three years ago, and he was a great source of encouragement at the time that I'm still thankful for. So, Jason, I'm really looking forward to, to catching up today and learning more about all things Convoy. Welcome. Thanks for having me, Aaron. I, I have one question for you, though. What subscriber was I? What was the number? Do you know? I think you were probably within the first, like, 100 or 200. You were very early. Oh, I, I love that. Yeah. I love that. Very early. I was I was mainly writing to myself for quite a while, and then it eventually started picking up. But you were one of the very first people in there, which I I, no, I, I was celebrating at the time. It was awesome. I remember uh, going through the backlog, too, um, and I sent that to my whole team. Um, and I remember how I got connected with you is somebody quoted you in another newsletter, which I cannot remember what it was. And I was like, who is this Aaron Bush guy? Um, and man, I have been reading your stuff ever since. So if you don't subscribe to Novik, uh, they put out a lot of great content. So this is my shameless plug as an early <laughs> supporter uh, of the Novik ecosystem. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. And I'll let you put a, a shameless plug for your stuff um, in, in, in a bit. But maybe to, to get the conversation started, let's go ahead and, and set the, the foundation of um, what you're working on today, how you know how Convoy came to be, and then we can dig into to how you're thinking about investing, you know, future trends, all that kind of stuff. So to start, let's just start with what what was the story of Convoy? How did it get started? Yeah, um, we have a very untraditional story for launching a fund. Um, you know, typically when you hear of groups that launch venture funds. There's kind of two more more common known stories. One is I was at Sequoia, I was at Excel, I was at a big fund, and you know, I was a principal or partner there, and I had a slightly different perspective on where I'd want to launch my own, you know, thesis driven fund, and so I rolled out. Um, that's one pretty common story. The other very common story is I'm a founder, had a huge exit, and I love my space, and I either want to invest into people that I know personally. Um, and start that way. Um, or I have a thesis of where I think the world is going and I want to launch fun. Those are both great stories. Those just happen to not be our stories at all. Um, so personally, uh, I grew up, um, as did my two other co-founders, Josh and Jackson, overseas as kids. So we grew up moving every two, three years um, in mainly the developing world um, across Africa, Latin America, and Asia. And uh, part of our upbringing that was huge was, you know, in some of these countries, gaming is extremely popular. Um, also, it was also a source of entertainment for us in some, some more remote regions. So I'll tell you, gaming was, is, is a near and dear to my heart for a lot of reasons. But one is it's, it's a huge part of the way that all three of the managing partners grew up. And it's a slightly different, unique lens on life. So I like to highlight that, too, is, you know, we grew up in places where games was often the way that we connected with people that we didn't even speak the same language as, right? You know, moving every two, three years to different countries, um, that was a big part of our story. So uh, that's our backdrop. I, you know, all three of us came to the, to, to the States for, for college. Uh, we stayed. We all went in different directions um, post-college. But my, my own story personally was I went into IBM. I went into a product and engineering role. 
um, and also in some research functions. And while I was there, I focused predominantly on machine learning applications within enterprise. Um, and I was on some of the early product and research teams for that deployment and happened to get to interact with a lot of games companies um, while I was actually at IBM. Um, and that was sort of the genesis for what is uh, Convoy today. And not too similar to you, Aaron, um, me and my partners, we launched a newsletter where we started writing about the industry. Um, and we did this in 2016. Um, we started writing this newsletter to get our thoughts on paper uh, a lot harder than I initially thought it would be. Um, I, I have a lot more respect for avid writers than I did before. Um, and we started writing and one thing kind of led to another. And similar to you, Aaron, I had a, a bunch of people start reading our content that honestly, um, I felt like I had no business writing to these people. Um, they were, you know, <laughs> you know, Aaron, you were more qualified to write to your audience than I was. Um, we we're writing to this, this group of cohort of people saying, Hey, look, we, we think games, um, you know, it's almost a surefire bet. More people are going to play video games tomorrow than they do today. And we think a lot of people are focusing on the wrong wrong side of that bet. We think people are taking unnecessary risk in extremely focused on content investing. And we think there's a, a massive play for a technology-driven firm to invest into the underbelly of this massive and growing ecosystem. And, uh, you know, honestly, a lot of our first LPs came from that newsletter. And, you know, I, I would be lying to you, Aaron, if I ever told you I thought it'd be a fund manager. I thought I was going to probably be an engineer or a product the rest of my life. And I loved it and I still love that. It's a huge part of like my, my story and DNA, but that's what, what led to the eventual launch of Convoy in 2018. Yeah. I love how you just never know where life will take you and, and some, in some of these directions, but really happy that life took you down this path. Cause it's been fun to watch the development of Convoy over the past few years. Um, I guess next I would just ask, what is the state of Convoy today? You started in 2018, but zoom us forward four years. Where are we in 2022? Man, a lot, a lot has changed since the newsletter uh, launching in 2016 and then the eventual fund launching in 2018. So fund one uh, for us was just about 11 million bucks, uh, which was, you know, in, in the venture capital world is, is quite small. Um, $11 million still sounds like a lot of money to me personally. So for those listening, uh, that, that still rings true for me as well. Um, we then launched fund two in 2020. Uh, that was a $65 million fund. Um, and then we just did, uh, launched fund three actually this summer, which is a $150 million fund. Um, and so across those three funds, and then also what we have a couple other special purpose vehicles, um, which is, you know, to, to simplify that for listeners who aren't as familiar with that, essentially it's a vehicle that stood up for a high conviction opportunity. Um, we've done that four times. Uh, we have a, you know, total AUM of about 270 million across the firm. So that's kind of our capital basis. Um, the next thing I would highlight is, you know, we've got a team of seven full-time people on our, on, on our roster. Um, thankfully, you know, we have been hiring people that are a lot smarter than the three original partners. So we are getting better and better, which is always what you should do. Um, and I'm really proud to say we've had zero churn. Um, so in the four years since we launched the firm, uh, every single person that we've brought on has stayed and that has been fantastic. Um, so we've loved that. It's a huge part of our culture. We're based here in Denver, Colorado. Uh, which I always shocks people. Um, I'll tell you the dirty secret of why we're based in Denver um, is all of our partners were actually kind of all over the place. Uh, at the time, we were all three in New York City. Um, I knew New York City was not for me long haul personally. 
Um, but I married a girl from Colorado and she, uh, she was the, uh, impetus for us moving to this wonderful state. And I don't think we're going anywhere. Um, and so what does that mean as a gaming fund based in Colorado? Um, it means we travel a lot. So that's, that's kind of the, the, <laughs> the honest, the honest take there. Um, other than that, um, you know, we're really proud of like our team and what we've accomplished. Uh, we've done, you know, roughly about 40 deals to date. Um, we're doing roughly about, you know, we're going to talk about pacing later, but we've done about 11 deals a year, which has been fantastic. And I don't see that slowing down. Awesome. Yeah, that's great to hear your story and congrats on all the success so far. Um, let's dig into your investing strategy and how you how you think about running your, your fund a bit. So your website says, Convoy Ventures is a thesis-driven venture capital firm. We invest in the platforms and technologies at the frontier of gaming. Um, so let's go ahead and break that down into a couple parts. Um, to start, um, what exactly do you mean by thesis-driven? Um, does that mean that you take concentrated bets? Like I was looking on your website and you've invested in five new businesses this year. Um, or, do you, or do you have a different way of thinking about that? What does it mean to be thesis-driven? Yeah, to be thesis driven in our definition of it, you know, you probably get, you know, 10 answers if you ask 10 people. But, you know, our definition of thesis is we have guardrails around what kind of fits the parameters of an investment that we're going to target. Right. And so, you know, there's some really easy ones. Like, for instance, if, you know, somebody came into here and pitched me a, you know, a food startup, I would tell you, hey, that's just out of scope. That's out of thesis. That's a pretty common response for us to tell people, hey, it's just not in scope. Um, those are the easy ones. The, the harder ones are typically when you see things that, you know, maybe it's 10% of what they're doing is in gaming and then 90% isn't. It's like, is that a thesis fit, right? Um, and so for us, we define our thesis as a fund that is focused on any technology platform uh, that is that is supporting the underbelly of the ecosystem. Um, and so for us, we look at, you know, how do we find the next Discord? How do we find the next Unity? How do we find the next Twitch? That is the type of stuff that we're focused on as a firm. Um, and so that's how we define thesis. Um, things that are out of, out of scope and out of thesis for us within games as well is, you know, pure content studios. And I know we're going to talk a little bit about this later, but, you know, if you come pitch us a, you know, free-to-play mobile studio, um, that's not going to be in thesis for us at this time. Um, we've decided to, to shy away from content investing, and there's a lot of reasons for that, but I'll, I'll save that for a later bit in our conversation. Okay, so just to clarify, um, thesis-driven in this case, it's more about um, scope more so than concentration, right? Yeah, so for us, this from a def definition of thesis, it would be like kind of the profile of investment more so than like the structure. Um, if we're going to talk about, you know, pacing and structuring, like this is something that we actually obsess over is, um, and we look at this as kind of like the cornerstone of your business and operations, right? Um, a lot of firms have different opinions on this. Um, and I honestly think that the, the best answer I can give you on it is do what works well for your investment team. Um, we have done a deal about every four to five weeks um, over the last uh, close to 36 months now. Um, and that, that has been the pacing that has worked for us. A lot of people allocate a lot faster than that. Some allocate slower. Um, and I'll tell you, you know, we, we had a big team meeting on setting pacing for this next year and it will be comparable to what we've done in the last year or the year before. This is obviously a really um, topical thing to discuss for most venture funds as we enter into a recession, um, which, you know, we as an opinion, as a firm believe that we are in one. 
Um, a lot of people do not believe that, but we believe that the signs are pretty clear that we are in it or have been in it actually for longer than most people want to admit. Um, and so for us, this is a huge part of our structuring for what we think we're going to do as a firm going forward. Right. That makes sense. Um, and then the second part of what it says on your website that I wanted to break down was the, yeah. the platforms and technologies side, uh, which is your focus. Um, so, yeah, I just want to ask why that focus, but also why is the industry now ready to support a VC firm that specializes in the non-content side of gaming? Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. This is a great question and one that I get asked a lot of the time from uh, prospective LPs into our fund. And so, Aaron, I'm just going to pretend like you're a prospective LP. I didn't know that getting money out of this conversation. <laughs> this is great. Um, so, all right. So let me just break this down, our logic on why we think this is merited at this time. Um, so there's about 7.98 billion people, so 8 billion roughly, in the world. 3 billion of those people today play video games. So it's about 38% of the world plays, plays games. We think right there and then, uh, 38% of the world doing just about anything merits and demands a fund that is focused not on the content, but on the picks and shovels of that industry. So just on the, on the underbelly, to get even more detailed on this, about 10,000 games were released on Steam last year. About 984,000 of the apps on the App Store are games. I think it's 442,000 of the apps on the Google Play Store are games. There is a lot of content out there in the market. It is really hard for us to see or justify that that says you're entering into a blue ocean with content. It is very rare. It's not unheard of, but it's very, very rare. And for us, we look at that as the most crowded side of this market, right? And, and it's very logical for why it's crowded, right? It's, it's because if you hit, you hit big. You know, look at Fall Guys, look at Fortnite, you know, look at Call of Duty. There's all, these are all great, you know, pieces of content, Rocket League, that, you know, some of them kind of came out of nowhere, especially like a Fall Guys or a Rocket League, right? Those came out of absolutely nowhere and took the world by storm and were incredibly scalable. Games today are incredibly scalable, which is amazing. We take the approach that, hey, most people in this industry focus on this industry, on, on this side of the industry, which is content. And then the next thing we'd say is it's also the most read part of, of our industry. And we kind of have a joke internally. We say that content is redder than the uh, Red Wedding in Game of Thrones. <laughs> and I think that is, for those who have watched it, uh, you know, I'm going to give you homework. Go watch this, this TV series. It is fascinating. Um, but for us, that is why we focus on what we do. So kind of to give you just like the, the, the one-liner, it's, it's less crowded. And this industry demands it because so many people in the world play these games. Gotcha. And what type of platform and technology companies around gaming are you looking for? Are you looking at like the bleeding edge with Web3 around traditional games? Um, like, do you have common attributes or checklist items that you're looking for? Um, like what, what type of companies make an ideal convoy investment these days? Oh, man. Okay. There's a lot there. Uh, yeah. The answer would be we look at all of it. Um, so, you know, last quarter, for instance, we saw just under 700 deals hit our desk. Um, and these are deals that aren't, you know, non, like just kind of nonsense opportunities hitting us on LinkedIn. We're talking about actual opportunities within games. Um, you know, about 50% of those are content first deals. So studios and the rest would fall into what our thesis is, right? So 
within those roughly 350 opportunities that we saw last quarter that hit our thesis, um, we're looking at everything from, you know, what's at the bleeding edge of what we kind of call gaming and X. So we spent a lot of time on gaming intersecting with another industry. So this is something we've invested into quite heavily. Like what? You know, we can talk about like gaming and education mm. is one that we love. So we have a thesis personally that gaming will eliminate the textbook and, you know, the way that Aaron, you and I probably learned how to do just about anything in, in you know, academia will look dramatically different in about 10 years because these kids today are spending more and more of their time in virtual worlds. Um, why shouldn't their real world education emulate how they choose to spend their free time? And so we've pushed a lot of money into this. Um, we have several bets in this. One I'll highlight to you is Legends of Learning. Uh, this is a group that about 5% of elementary schools in the U.S. use today. And they sit as, a, sit as an intermediary that teachers can select content that is produced for their platform. Um, and it, it just works. Um, I think that, you know, for us, we think gaming can teach a lot of industries how to manage engagement better. And that's something that we've spent a lot of time trying to figure out. And we think education, for instance, is one of the perfect places to start. So that's, that's an example of like one thesis that would be great for us. I would tell you this is true across real money games. This is true across um, uh, healthcare, something that we've spent a lot of time in as well. Um, gaming at its crux and what I've tried to define for people more often than not is get out of your head and the, the concept of a person in their basement playing, you know, Halo 2 by themselves or whatever it is. Like I love Halo 2, one of the best franchises ever made. Um, but personally, like that is where most people think games are today. And I think that is so limiting in scope. And I say, no, games, games is about engagement. It's about fun. It's about learning. It's about building skills that can impact your real life too. And I love that about games. Right. And so that's all within scope for us, um, here at Convoy. Right. And I guess putting trends aside for a moment, are there, you know, for the deals that do make you excited and that you, you generally do um, fund, are there any common attributes or like checklist items that like really stand out? Like if there's a team um, or a few teams listening to this episode um, yeah. that are interested in um, having you as investors, like, yeah, what are those common attributes that, that you would love to see for all of these um, startups to be thinking about? Man, I, you know, right before this, I was on with a, with a founder and I, I told him, you know, the vast majority of the reason we will pass an opportunity is we typically do not think that it's either one of two, one of two things. One is we do not believe the market that you're going after demands venture dollars. And so I always, I always kind of clarify that is that for us, we are hunting for massive returns. You know, my team is not hunting for a you know, I gave you a dollar, you gave me 10 back. You know, that's a, that's a good outcome. That's not what we're hunting for. We're hunting for, I give you a dollar, you're handing me a hundred back, right? Mm -hmm. And so I always clarify saying, it doesn't mean it's a bad business. It just means it's not the right business for us. But that is a common reason we will pass. The market opportunity is not big enough. The second reason we often pass um, is the team pursuing it, we do not believe is the best team in the world to pursue that opportunity. And so I could go pursue and start a lot of things and do okay at it. For instance, I love pizza. Can I open a pizza shop? Maybe, but am I the best person to do that? I have no professional culinary training. Absolutely not. You should never give me money to launch a pizza, pizza spot. Um, often, you know, we see a lot of founders doing something comparable where they see a great market opportunity. They're not wrong, but they're not their best group to go after it. 
right? And that happens a lot. So we look at market op, we look at the background of the founders, which is honestly everything. I will also tell you, we, we like to back people that uh, we want to win. Mm-hmm. So I know that sounds a little simplistic, but um, it is often hard to help people that might be brilliant, but uh, you don't want to necessarily see win in the world. Um, and so we, we do have this policy at Convoy that we want to see these founders win. Um, and that, that is different from funds, some funds, right? Some funds don't take that approach. Um, so that's another thing that we like to focus on. The next one, like these are the more boring ones. We do look at, you know, revenue traction, revenue multiples for the, this area, the, uh, the sector area that you're going into. We, we test product heavily. Um, we typically like to get involved when you know, our sweet spot is, you know, products in market, you've got two or three clients that you're kind of you know, beta testing with or have POCs with, and you need, you know, two to 5 million bucks to get going. And, you know, that's where we want to get in, right? We want to come in hot and say, Hey, look, we're going to partner with you. We have this BD pipeline for you. We can help you out. Um, we can help you with hiring and think about constructing your team because especially two of the three GPs come from product and engineering. That's, that's kind of like our, our sweet spot and kind of the things that we're looking for initially when we want to get in. How does um, product testing tie into your due diligence? How do you think about doing that? Because it's so different from like most games teams where like you can look at, you know, new builds of a game, but you're pretty focused on the, you know, the tech and infrastructure side of things. How do you, how do you manage that and, and that side of the industry? Yeah, I think it really helps. I mean, you know, similar to those who specialize in content investing, you know, a lot of them have run studios, uh, or I would hope they had, right? Like, because there's a specialty that comes with that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've got several friendly firms in, in the space that are excellent content investors. And, you know, when they test a product and test a game, I think they have more knowledge on what they're looking at than I do. I hope I have the same when I'm looking at, um, I'd say, a more technical product like an engine or like a tool for a developer, because guess what? I, I am a developer, right? Like I was, you know, hands on keyboard 15, 16 hours a day before this, right? So that's a huge part. So that's a high level, more granularly. Um, I'll tell you that we sit down with the CTO and the engineering team at length and have pretty in-depth conversations. I've done GitHub repo reviews as well, actually looking through what has been submitted, what is what is committed to. Um, and honestly, I just use the products. I mean, a lot of times you don't need to be a technical person to use these products and to understand if they're good or not, because often the technical community is making these products for non-technical people, mm-hmm. you know, and use the product, tell them if you think it's good or not. Um, there's, there's several frameworks that we run through when we're doing product reviews um, with these founders. And I'll tell you, often, often, more often than not, the CTO and engineering team appreciates it because they often don't get a lot of limelight in the, the capital raising uh, process um, because most people just want to assume that this thing is built and done. I'll tell you, we've saved ourselves and our investors a lot of money by not investing to vaporware, which often happens um, in uh, the high flying. And I, th- I think the word used is bleeding edge of technology. There's a lot of vaporware there right. um, and a lot of teams building stuff that honestly just doesn't merit any money. Um, gotcha. Yeah, that's really interesting. And it's all really well said um, to kind of, um, segue a bit where does web3 and you know the the aspect of blockchain gaming tie into to your thesis is that a big emphasis for you guys so 
I'll, I'll answer it with a couple, a couple ways. Um, so I'll tell you that this is not a core focus of, of our fund. And it wasn't a core focus in fund two, and it wasn't, it isn't a core focus in fund three. You know, for better or for worse, Aaron, we could be sitting here in five years and you could be telling me I'm totally wrong. Um, but, you know, we were given the opportunity to go raise a dedicated blockchain gaming fund. We had a group come to us to, to launch that. And uh, we decided as a firm to not do it at this time. Um, and the main, the main reason we decided not to do it at this time is because if you look at the gaming market, as I highlighted, there's 3 billion gamers. Um, even on the most bullish of estimates uh, that I've seen, um, you're looking at no more than 30 million players, right? Realistically, there's probably a lot less than that. Yep. Um, you know, internally, I think it's probably closer to around 10. Um, and, and for that, you know, right there, you know, you're operating at 0.1% of the market or less. Um, that just screams early to me, right? Like, and sometimes being really early is great. Sometimes being really early is just as bad as being really late. Um, and so we think there's a lot of parallels here to other exciting parts of gaming. We can talk about augmented reality and virtual reality, which, you know, VR in particular, I think has finally emerged to the, the spot that we thought it would be 10 years ago. Um, and we're really excited about that. So for, for a lot of those reasons, we, we choose a shy way. Um, the, the thing that initially, and we do have some bets in Web3 that got us really excited. Um, and I think we still are excited about these things. So my backdrop here is it's not a core focus. Do I see opportunity? And, and does some of these teams merit money today? 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, is, for instance, we, we invested initially in our first uh, play into Web3 was a team called Sky Mavis, which is the parent company of Axie Infinity. Um, I sit on the board as an observer there. Um, is we looked at profit sharing with your player base. This is something that really fascinated us because, you know, games companies today often bleed a lot of money to the Apple App Store and the Google Play Store. We looked at this and we like, the way that games have to grow today is so... Uh, so inefficient. It is such a, a such a high cost to grow your user base, tons of paid UA, and there's so much turnover. And we looked at this and we thought, huh, I wonder if games would breed more loyalty and long-lasting loyalty if you shared shared with your players based off of achievement and time spent in game. And we saw them as the pioneers of this new model. And I think they've tried a lot of things, and I think some of these things will stick in games long haul. And I like that. Um, so that's what that's what kind of was the invest, investment there was this business model innovation, but then also um, still to this day, I mean, the Ronin network was kind of the main reason we wanted to invest because it was one of the most used protocols, not, not even just in game, just, just period. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they still have comparable levels to Polygon today, right? Just this one title and this one, you know, one layer two with, with Ronin. Um, and so we, for, for all those reasons, that's what made us jump into it. And the Sky Mavis team, I give Alexander and Jiho and Trung and Andy a lot of credit. Um, they got a guy who was extremely skeptical to make, make the jump, uh, which was me. Uh, and, you know, I was probably the biggest bear at the time on our team about Web3 and being involved in games. And so for me, that's why we're excited about Web3 uh, and what I think Web3 can do for games. I will tell you, I'm a firm believer that, game, that, that, that Web3 needs gaming more than gaming needs Web3. Um, at this time, because we've got 3 billion users. Web3 does not have 3 billion users, nothing even close. Um, You know, this is why you've seen all the, you know, Solanas and the Polygons um, turn their heads towards gaming because they think this is going to be the 
digital onboarding revolution for the digital native kind of user. And I think there's, there's a lot there. I think way too many dollars came into blockchain gaming. You know, I, I think the stat I saw was about $11 billion have been put into blockchain games. I can't, I, this might've actually been from you guys. I can't remember if that's right or not, Aaron, but um, you know, I, I regurgitate a lot of stuff you guys write. <laughs> um, and, and honestly, I looked at that and I'm like $11 billion for less than realistically 10 million users doesn't make sense to me. Like that doesn't make sense. So that's, that's the part I think. And unfortunately I think because, because of all the dollars that chased in from investors, you know, in the industry, I think that the good founders got lost in the uh, myriad of people that were just hunting for an NFT drop to walk away with a couple million bucks. Mm -hmm. And that, that to me is the thing that you had to watch out for as an investor. And it got very, very crowded um, at the end of 2021. And I'll tell you, we, we paused allocating to this sector after we sort of made our initial bets because um, we thought, you know, when, when it's, it's kind of the joke, uh, was it the 19, the, the early, the twenties crash when, you know, they said that you were getting advice on stock picks from the guy that was at your barber shop or, you know, helping shine your shoes. Right. Like, you know, that a, uh, uh, a crash is coming because it's, it's, you now you've got non-experts commenting on the space. Um, and I, I think, you know, we had a lot of people who weren't privy to, you know, the, the happenings of games paying us being like, Oh, have you seen this new cool, like free to play this or that? And I was like, Oh no, that's, that was the moment where we were like, this is, this is going to be a problem. And so, you know, we haven't made this a focus for us and we're not, we haven't done anything in, in web three in 2022. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's interesting. And honestly, I think what you've said is pretty wise. I mean, obviously web three, including, you know, blockchain gaming, you know, that, that sector of it, um, it rolled through the hype cycle, but not just rolled through the hype cycle, but because of how financialized it is, it rolled through the hype cycle in like a super extreme um, way that you don't see with all technologies. And um, yeah, if you're facing the opportunity to have, you know, an investment fund or, you know, some type of investment vehicle dedicated to just like a hyper specific area, you, you really have to make sure that your timing is right. Um, um, so I admire your discipline, um, on, you know, what to say no to, but also your ability to stay flexible too. Cause it's not as if you haven't, um, made investments or that you're not looking at these things. You're from what I can tell, you're still, you know, thinking hard about it and, you know, constantly learning so that, you know, if you change your mind, um, you'll, you'll be ready to, to jump back in. Um, and, and also, too, I know some teams, you know, when like when you launch something like this, it, it sort of is a new asset class in a lot of ways. And it's kind of hard to tie into existing fund models. Um, um, but, yeah, I guess I'm curious, yeah. um, like where where do you think we are like in this market cycle of of Web3? And then after a week, I'll mm. ask that question again more more generally. But, um, yeah, where do you think we are in Web3? And like, what are you looking for to get more interested in it again? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, as an investor and uh, one of the biggest gifts you can give yourself is time. Um, and, you know, in 2020 and 2021, this was something that a lot of investors did not have a heck of a lot of because you were rushed to make decisions. There was a lot of FOMO investing happening because everything was going up and to the right, you know, and that's just what it was. And you were like, gosh, like if I sit on cash today, like 
that's like a disservice to myself and my investors. Like I got to deploy, deploy, deploy. And yeah, you, know, you saw groups um, in Web3 doing 50 plus deals a year, you know, mm-hmm. and that that to me is quite a strategy when you have a, such a small team to deploy that capital. Um, and so for me, you know, where do I think Web3 is today? Um, my honest take is I think it got gut punched, um, rightfully so. There were a lot of people starting to question kind of like, hey, how many people are actually using your product? You know, like a simple question like that. Um, how many people are here purely to invest and try to make more money on those assets versus actually enjoy your title? And this is this is kind of something that I think a lot of groups didn't think about, right? Um, some great groups did, right? And I, I do want to highlight this. There's some really great founders actually thinking through the next kind of evolution of Web3 in games. Um, but all those founders were thinking first from the game's perspective. You know, they were thinking, how do I... Uh, deliver a fun experience to my players, right? Uh, how do I leverage this technology to give something net new to create a blue ocean um, that isn't just, you know, another red ocean? And I always kind of make the joke and I'm like, it's it's like if you asked me to launch a, a fund that I only used GCP for my backend. It's like, why would I, it's a technology, you know, it's a technology leveraged by game developers. At the end of the day, the problem you're trying to solve for is the same, which is how you deliver an experience that is compelling enough to demand that I spend my time there. And that's what game developers understand so well. And I think that most in Web3 have totally missed that. They've like, they thought like, I'm going to make a financial product that's more fun than using a bank and therefore you're going to spend time in it. Um, so anyways, that's largely where I think we are today. I think you're going to see dollars um, dry up here pretty quickly for new Web3 funds, especially in you know 2023. Um, I think, a lot of funds raised a ton of money at the end of 2021. And right. so you're going to see they have a lot of dry powder to deploy. So you're going to continue to see allocations occurring. We've already seen dramatic slowdowns, right? Especially from Web3 funds that often put a lot of their money into these digital assets directly, right? So, you know, if I took a $500 million fund, I put all that into ETH at the end of 2021, I'm hurting pretty bad right now, right? Like, and a lot of groups do that, right? And and that, that to me is going to, you know, slow down new capital. So like, what's, what's the top down here on this? Um, you know, new funds aren't going to raise as much money for Web3, um, especially for Web3 games. And then second, you know, that's going to slow deployment down. And then thirdly, like that's going to attract less founders because it's harder to raise money all of a sudden, um, which then leads to my fourth point, which I think is the, the silver lining here. Only the, uh, only the dedicated survive. Uh, in this either existing companies and also new companies who are like, I know this is not a good time to raise money here, but I'm going to pursue it anyways because I just have to. Mm-hmm. And that's that gusto is what you're looking for as an investor, right? Um, and I'll tell you, I look for people that have gone through tough cycles before, and this is one of the huge reasons we love the Sky Mavis team, right? Is they went through a pretty tough cycle and they're like, nope, we know we've got something here. Like, we're going to continue forward. They did not raise money in an easy cycle. Uh, they raised money in a pretty brutal cycle like after the 2017 crash, yeah. right? And so so that's that's the kind of stuff I look for. And I love that about people is like, show me your conviction, show me your fortitude um, as you're launching a company. Mm-hmm. How about more, more generally beyond Web3? Where do you think we are in the cycle today? Obviously, we know, um, you know, 2021 was super hot. Uh, and, you know, maybe we peaked 
earlier this year, you know, when, you know, it's announced that Microsoft's buying Activision and Take-Two's buying Zynga, et cetera. And maybe things have cooled down, but, but what are you seeing there today? Yeah, I think, you know, largely, like more largely generally, like, and this is something I, I did a tweet about with, you know, um, you know, kind of the deal flow that we've seen over the last year. And this is, you know, mainly based off of CD Insights data and a little bit of, you know, supplementation from us, from stuff that we see, um, you know, largely like year over year deals getting done, like seed is unaffected today. Uh, it's literally one deal off, you know, 77 deals were done last, um, you know, last year and at the same quarter and 76 were done this quarter. Series A financings in, in gaming specifically, not in venture as a whole, uh, are down about 14%. Series B is done to, uh, down about 47%. Series C is done about 67%. So wow. huge drops, honestly. Um, and, the, and the reason being is because, you know, when a macro hits like this, you know, a couple things happen. You either freeze, you freeze. Like you're just like, I'm going to pause and I'm going to wait to see how this shakes out, which is totally a fair response. The other response is, oh no, like I'm at the tail end of my cycle of allocating capital. I've got no fresh dollars to deploy. And guess what? Raising money right now as a fund, just like it is for startups, is not easy, right? It is so much harder this year to raise money than it is last year. And so those are kind of two things slowing it down. The third thing I'd tell you is you can respond at this juncture um, and can and, and jump in and allocate, which I'll tell you is the response that Convoy has taken. Um, we, we like to strike and allocate when others freeze up. Um, and the main reason being is that guess what? Valuations go down, right? It's not, it's not rocket science for us. We, you know, we get more for our dollars um, at these, in these times because we're getting paid to be risk on and not risk adverse. Right. And so again, going back to my quote of like fortune favors, the bold and the risk on uh, that is a hundred percent, you know, hundred percent how we feel. So as everyone is shying away, just like what happened during COVID, by the way. Um, so we were watching this very carefully and, you know, March, April, and May of COVID, we made some pretty great bets as a fund, which are going to make, you know, our firm and our investors hopefully a lot of money. Um, and for us, we, we see this as a similar time and a similar opportunity to strike because a lot of people are pausing until they get more clarity on the macro, which um, I think we already have clarity on the macro, which is it's pretty bad. Um, and so, like, what are we waiting for? It's not going to get better for a while. Um and so we are we're taking the more of aggressive approach during this time, which um, honestly, I would encourage most investors who are thematically driven, especially if you're investing into an industry like games, which we have a lot of data on doing very, very well in the last recession um, called you know, the Great Recession in 2008, 2009. Um, we think we're going to do even better this time. Mm hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's smart. I would say it even extends beyond yeah. venture too. Like I was looking um, even at just some stock market data, and I think the S and P five hundred is down. It's down like twenty five percent, thirty percent from its highs or something. But I saw some some data that basically looked at all the times the S and P five hundred had gone down twenty five percent or more over the past, you know, like 50, 70, 80 years or something. Um, and every time without fail, the next three years generated pretty exceptional returns. And even the next year generally was quite positive. So, yeah, I think it's it's smart to, you know, I think as Buffett says, you know, be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. And, you know, sometimes it's hard to do in the moment. But if you if you know what you're doing and you have your, your theses down and your, your tactics 
set. I think it's it's wise to you know attack when others are being fearful. It's how a lot of you know it's oh go ahead. It's it's a way to do it. I mean it's it's you know like I think you know generally it's funny you hire, highlight Warren Buffett. So like a great exercise I would tell for anyone who's listening. Um, our whole team read through. Um, Warren Buffett is famous uh, for for writing a letter um, every year um, and, and walking through kind of the year um, in review. Um, and we, we did as a team, we read through all those going back to the, I think like early eighties. Um, and I'll tell you that there, I learned more in that than I think you could possibly learn in almost any business book, right? Like that is a PhD in, in macro economy, right? And I would tell you like, everyone go do that. If you're studying, if you're studying investing as, as a, as a profession, that, that is, that is one of the all time greats. And I don't think we'll ever see a greater one. So hundred percent, we've definitely tried to embody his, his fortitude, which is not easy because at the end of the day, every person who's allocating money is an emotional being. We're not robots. Right. And it is totally natural when others are fleeing to want to flee as well. Right. And, you know, something that, you know, as a firm, we, we decided pretty early on is, you know, 80% of deals are led by about 20% of funds. And that always blows my mind because when I, when I hear that, I'm like, okay, so 20% of funds are potentially making decisions for hundred percent of the capital. That's essentially what the answer is. And to me, like that, that as a fund, like we're not going to be part of the 80% of that. We're going to hundred percent be part of the 20%. Um, and I think, you know, we're going to see a shift going forward where generalist follow on funds are going to struggle, right? Because, at the end of the day, I think a lot of people are going to look and be like, well, you know, shouldn't we just put our money with dedicated funds that specialize in something specific? Um, so I think if you're going to try to launch like a general fund right now, that's a really tough market to do it. And I honestly, I think a really tough value prop for them, right? Because, you know, I think we're well covered in generalist venture across, you know, the, the greats and, you know, you know, like the Excels and the the Bessemers and the Sequoias, right? Like those groups have got this, the Andreessen's, right? They've got that covered. Right. Like you don't, you know, we don't need, the world doesn't need another one of those. Um, so there's a lot, there's a lot there on the macro specifically within venture. Um, but I think to just kind of summarize, like we're risk on and we're allocating. Um, and I think, I think we're going to see who makes more money over this next cycle, but I think you're going to see a really, really strong performance for 2022 funds and 2023 funds that chose to allocate and chose to continue pushing and not to freeze. Right. I think that's, that would be a, a death sentence as a fund right now. Great. Um, maybe in our last, okay. you know, five to 10 minutes together, I want to talk a bit about just what you've learned running and scaling a venture business. Um, and so I'm curious, you know, now that you've been doing this for, I guess, you know, four years now, um, what have you learned? Any, any notable lessons? Oh man. Oh man. Oh man, Aaron. Uh, I think we need another hour. Um, <laughs> what are but, we, uh, like one but, to two. One to two things. Um, so I'll tell you a couple of lessons I've learned, um, as a mistakes I've made, you know, as a fund manager, which, uh, you know, I, I think you have to learn as an investor. So maybe I can save some people some money on this call. Um, one is, uh, never assume due diligence has been properly done by another investor. And so what I mean by that is never invest because another person in, is investing. I'd apply that to, to us too. So if you're following us into a round, 
like, you know, I hope, I hope you think we did our work cause our homework, cause then otherwise I got other problems. But, um, I would tell you like, never make that assumption. We've made that mistake one time in fund one, um, when we were following a much bigger, uh, group into a, an opportunity and, uh, that ended up not being a great outcome for us. Right. And so I'd tell you like, that's one, two, uh, never underfund your companies, you know, don't be too greedy up front where you don't give them proper runway. Um, if it's a BDB company, give them 24 months. Don't even think about 18 months. Don't do that. Just, just don't do that to yourself. You're, you're investing in a company that you're going to, that you almost guarantee will be a problem for you later. Um, so that's another mistake I've made and I've learned from as an investor. Um, other lessons I'd tell you, and this is more on the good side. Um, again, shocking, Aaron, I'm not perfect. So I had to highlight my mistakes for you. I, I know, I know, I know that your, you know, your, your listener thought this as they jumped on to this, this interview, but, um, I, I tell you, um, good things we've done is we've obsessed about our business or our, our deal flow uh, pipeline process. We are obsessive about this moving, moving companies through the pipeline quickly either in or out, right? You only have so much mental capacity as an investor or as any human being, get things off your plate that you're not going to do. Just get them off. Don't let them stagnate. Um, and so we try to pass quick. Um, this is something I think we're very, very good at. Um, this is why, you know, a team of seven can process almost 700 deals a quarter. So we're, you know, each individual person on our team, uh, you know, we have six on the investment side. We have one non-investment team staff member. Um, they're processing over a hundred deals, you know, themselves a quarter. And that's, that's a lot of time and a lot of effort. And there's, there's the process flow is important there. Um, the other thing I'd tell you is, uh, you know, we meet in person. We're an in-person firm every day. We're in person. And I'll tell you, uh, we think that is a huge edge. Um, and to my knowledge, we're the only gaming fund in the world. That's a hundred percent in person. Wow. Um, and, and I think that we meet every day, same office debating vigorously through opportunities together. And I will tell you, uh, I think the wisdom of a collective unit can help you make a really, really great decisions and also save you from a lot of bad ones. Um, so that just can't be replaced on Zoom to me. So this is something I firmly believe. And I know I'm in the minority on that one because, you know, I sound like I'm 95 years old. And if you can see a picture of me, I'm definitely not. Um, that in person just is better for investing. And I think that's a firm belief for us. Interesting. Yeah, no, that that is interesting. Yeah. I didn't realize you guys were the only. Um, to uh, my knowledge, unless somebody, unless somebody else, I, I, you know, I don't want to misspeak here. To my knowledge, I know that some groups meet part partly in person and partly not. Um, and I've talked to, you know, I'm, you know, thankfully I, I consider most of the other uh, comp, uh, funds in gaming to be friends, um, and I, you know, I, I am the minority on that viewpoint, and. Uh, I think, you know, we'll, we'll see our data in 20 years, right? Like, I think this is an impactful thing. And, you know, the point I always say is that, you know, there's a lot of data on funds that met in person for a very long time that have been successful. Uh, we don't quite have the data yet on the remote funds yet. So we'll see. Um, I, I would rather bet on historical precedents on that one. Cool. Well, two, two final quick wrap-up questions. Um, first, yep. Jason, what's next for Convoy? Anything you want to call out? All right. What's next for us? Um, if you are building a, a, a product, um, or a platform that is trying to onboard the next billion gamers, um, which is either a geo focus or an age focus, get in touch with us. Um, so we're very excited about that. We think that, um, there are 
yeah, 38% of the world are gamers. Uh, we're going for 100%. That's what we're betting on. And I think that that is where we will end up is that every single human being on this planet will be part of the gaming ecosystem. Give us, you know, give us 20 years. Um, so I think that's where we're going. So that's one. What's next for Convoy also is, uh, we know we've, we've kicked off our fund three with two opportunities. We've led both of them. Um, we're going to probably lead if we can a hundred percent of deals out of fund three. Um, okay. if you're raising money, we're allocating, come to us. Um, you know, doors are open. We're excited. We're moving forward. Um, I'm also hiring people. So if you want to work in the games industry, either on our platform team or on our investment team, reach out to us. I'm always looking for someone who's hungry. Um, every single person on our team is a killer. And, uh, you know, we'd love to, to bring more people on. Sweet. And final question, if listeners want to learn more about Convoy or follow along with your thoughts, where can they go to, to learn more? Two areas. Oh, man, I should have thought this through more on um, the, the process funnel for the plug here. But uh, one thing to do is you know, go follow me on Twitter. Um, I'm not as cool as Aaron. I'm not as active on Twitter, but I promise you I'm trying to get more active. And uh, you can go subscribe to my newsletter on there. We send this out every week. Um, we spent, spent a lot of time as an investment team writing this together. Um, yeah, it's really trying good to through thoughts. Oh, thanks, Aaron. Appreciate it. We, we, we have a firm belief we will not write a newsletter if there's not some sort of opinion in there, right? It's not a regurgitation of news. I'm not just reading all of Novik's great stuff and then trying to regurgitate it to my own offering. That is not, that is not the move for us. We're trying to actually, you know, produce some original thought and, uh, yeah, man, uh, go, go subscribe and, you know, go follow me on Twitter and you know, DM me if you have got an idea. I'd love to, love to engage with you. Awesome. Well, Jason, thank you again so much for joining me today. This was a lot of fun to be able to, to catch up on everything that you and Convoy are up to. And I look forward to seeing you crush it in the years to come. Thanks, Aaron. Yeah, huge, huge mutual fans of Navic um, and appreciate you having me on today. Awesome. And to all of our listeners, if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to give us a like, subscribe, five stars. It would mean a lot. We'll put the links to all things Jason and Convoy in the episode description below. And of course, if you want to check out Novik's um, content as well, links to all of that will be down there too. So thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time.